Welcome to Art Glider. Join your favorite art curators as we chat with all kinds of people in the art, culture, and NFT space. Welcome to season two of Art Glider, the light bulb moment. We chat to creative pioneers about their light bulb moments. We discover what brought up their creative epiphanies and how they followed through to get where they are today. The light bulb moment provides you with practical tips to work towards your own light bulb moment. Before we begin, I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land from which we're recording today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. On today's episode, we're joined by Tori Loudon, curator of Vivid Ideas. The sector involves in sharing thoughts and discussions for the greatest minds, innovators and creatives during the iconic Sydney Vivid Festival in June. So Tori, what was your light bulb moment? Um, So I did want to say I didn't have one particular light bulb moment. Like I do think that um, my career has been quite long and meandering. But I also wanted to say that, yeah, I think the main thing for me has been um, I could never predict you know, where I was going to land next. But I'm glad that I said yes to lots of things. So I think, um, you know, we all we all suffer from, you know, imposter syndrome. We all, you know, everyone gets nervous and you're always in your comfort zone. So I, I suppose that's a thing that um, I wouldn't say it's light bulb moments, but I feel like I've had those a couple of moments where I've gone, just take the plunge, do it, push yourself, try something different. So that's, yeah, that's that would be my definition of a light bulb moment. And when you say yes, because I've met a couple of people recently that are saying how you say no, because I used to do that in the early days, say yes to everything. And then sometimes when you say yes, do you are now learning to say no? Are you still saying yes to things just out of curiosity? Oh, no, I definitely still say yes to things. Maybe I'm a little bit more discerning about what I say yes to, absolutely, because you can't say yes to everything. Um, and I think learning to say no is really important. But I suppose instead of saying I suppose it's just about working out what the motivation is and what is the thing that, what is the thing that, like if you if you are saying no, is it fear, and then fear is not a good enough excuse, but if you're saying no because you're too busy or you've got conflicting priorities or whatever, that's fine. I suppose mm-hmm. it was more that thing about saying yes, yes to yes to being brave and taking the taking the plunge and doing things. Um, Because I look back now and go, I can't believe some of the things I did when I was really young. And I think it's just, I just didn't really think about it. I just Mm. did it. Mm. And I think now if someone asked me, like, would you, I mean, one of the things like, I worked on the 1999, what was that, the Millennial New Year's Eve celebrations and had dancers coming down the outside of the opera house. And it was in the middle of Y2K bug. No one even probably knows what that is. But at the time, it was a really big issue. We all thought the electricity was going to fail. I remember that. Yes. And I had all these dancers and it was a big performance. And if someone asked me to do that now, I think I would say no. Isn't but that interesting? Then I said yes. And I'm really glad I did. So yes. Uh-huh. Say yes. Yeah. And I agree because I've said yes a lot and I've had so many good things that have come out of the yeses. Yeah, so it's a great one. Thank you. But in terms of light bulb moments, what I was going to say is 
Um, so I'm the curator for Vivid Ideas and um, we're just about to finish the festival. And I was thinking about how you curate um, programs. So obviously I curate programs of um, talks and workshops and some of them are quite big, you know, like we just had Mike White and Jennifer Coolidge, you know, Hollywood stars, right down to very, very intimate, you know, small workshops. Like we've got one this afternoon with WWF, which is about, you know, regeneration and sustainability and it's quite pointy. Um, but the theme for the festival was naturally. And when I was thinking about naturally, like it's quite easy to take it literally, like, oh, we can talk about the natural environment. And I was like, I don't want, I mean, they're really important conversations, don't get me wrong. I do want to talk about nature and the natural environment and sustainability, but I don't want a whole festival just on that particular theme. So for me, it was more like, okay, well, let's think about what's the opposite of natural. So the opposite of natural was artificial. And then where does that conversation take you? Or it's like naturally might be considered as being like the norm. So what's the opposite of the norm? And then and then I got really excited because it was like now I can have conversations about oh polyamory and monogamy and what is natural and what's not. Or I can have conversations about plastic surgery and what are we all doing to ourselves and what is the new norm. Or we can have conversations about taboos because you know there are certain things that are still considered shocking and confrontational. So so. I suppose my takeaway from that would be like just always look at everything from different perspectives and if you're really stuck, always ask. Like I think it's really helpful to bounce off other people. I'm really lucky I work with a couple of people who see the world very differently to me Mm. and I think that's great. Surround yourself by people who don't think the same way because otherwise that's how you end up in your little bubbles. Oh, I love that. And you're, you are so right. Um, I, you've been in the industry for like 20 years in arts, media, cultural organisations. What's been your creative highlight so far? I mean, there must be many, mm. right? <laughs> um, I think my... F- I know you're not meant to have favourites, but you do. Um, my favourites probably were um, Carriage Works when I very first started there because it was a brand new cultural centre. Mm. So I joined, I'd been at the Opera House, I left Opera House to go to Carriage Works and how often do you get a blank slate to, mm, to, start, to, again. to start again? And there were so many things that we just hadn't even thought about So my job as a programmer was obviously to think about what do we want to be and what sort of festivals and what sort of, you know, theatre and dance. But actually what it ended up being was so much more than that. It was like, how do we get people to know we're even here? How do we get people to get off the train at Redfern? How do we... How do we get the community, you know, involved and love us? And so um, some of my favourite moments, I suppose, were literally like door knocking up and down Wilson Street and talking wow. to people, going to like Redfern Community Centre and we started up like a local sort of outreach program with them and um, Curry Radio and Gadigal. We had a choir and then we did these very DIY workshops. We had like bike maintenance workshops. We had coffee brewing. We had kitchen gardens and you've got to remember this is 15 years ago so they were wow. still quite... Like people like um, Diego, who does foraging, he did them for us back then. And everyone was like, what is foraging? Yeah. Um, so, and what is foraging? Uh, well, foraging is when you go searching for food, um, like native ingredients, plants, but often it's to do with like walking around streets. Or it might be now people have gardens, you know, people planting gardens. But back then it was very much like literally what you would sort of more stumble across, mm. you know, in the back streets of Redfern. But I was going to say, so we had, we had a couple of... Um, 
really exciting moments where you it's like having a party and you're like, will anyone come? And we had this clove swap and 3,000 people came. Wow. And we were like, oh, wow. We didn't quite expect that. And then I did these dance nights called Wrong Prom that were like really fun, a bit like blue light discos for adults where you'd all get taught a dance and then everyone would like do a mass dance. And again, so this is before flash mobs, do a mass dance and they would just dance the night away and they would dress up. So like, they were like flash dance or grease or Xanadu. We had a roller, a roller skating rink inside Carriageworks. So it was just really fun. It was fun, it was hard work, but um, the community engagement was extraordinary. And so that's the part that I think I loved the most, was just finding out from people, what did they actually want CarriageWorks to be? Mm. And then trying to bring them in. Uh, and I love CarriageWorks. And there's just so many amazing events still there. So well done for, you know, the be- being the beginning of that, you know, the, the small seed that grew into a big tree. Um, I'd love to, you know, I think our listeners would, are dying to know what it looks like for you over the last, you know, couple of weeks of Vivid. It's coming to an end now. And when we probably air, it's going to be a, a few weeks later. But can you just tell us about how much planning went into Vivid Ideas, like when you sort of started it? Is it a whole year procedure? Like, yeah, give us some insights of, of, of you know, and, and some stats as well. We'd love to hear too. I think people were surprised by just how long it does take. So it's probably a nine-month, nine to ten months is probably realistic. Um, I mean, you often, I mean, you're always thinking at least a year or so ahead, but in terms of the actual sort of... Um, crunch time of sending out invitations and scheduling. I mean, it doesn't always, it all comes together at the last minute, like everything. You know, we launch in March and still end of March, we're still furiously, you know, putting the last touches of the program together. But in terms of like the really big, like I can say like with Mike White and Jennifer Corley, that was a nine month negotiation. It nearly killed me. Um, Congratulations. It was everywhere, all over social media. Yeah, thank and you. she looked really fun, actually. That's she the- was great. <laughs> and look, 8,000 people in the ICC, that's the biggest sort of talk that I've ever done. Um, and as I said, I used to work at the Opera House and whatever, but 8,000 people. And it felt surprisingly intimate, Yes, which I was really happy about because that was my concern, was that if you were sitting up in the gods, would you feel just a bit too detached? And everyone said, oh, it was so warm. And she was really, not just her, it was Mike White as well. I mean, he is actually the creative genius who you know wrote and directed and it, White Lotus is his creation, but she's just so charming. I did love... Sorry, this I'm, I'm going to just yeah. pass on my favourite piece of advice that she gave, which was it's like she talks a lot about self-doubt and being plagued by depression when she was younger and not feeling like obviously she conformed to Hollywood standards. And she's like, the best thing you can do is go and see terrible things. Go and see terrible plays. Go and see terrible films. Oh. Read terrible books. Look at what gets one-star reviews. And she said, and it will make you feel so much more confident. And she oh. did this hilarious rendition of Oliver, Oliver. I went to this terrible, you know, production of Oliver and I felt like the seeds had parted and that there was room for me. And I was like... I'm so going to do that. Mm. I'm so going to go and see terrible things. And you can learn from the terrible things too, right? Like what yeah, they did. Absolutely. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Oh, we've, all, a... we've all done terrible things. Yes. We've all been involved in terrible things. Yeah. And it is a learning curve. But I just, I just love that sort of honesty of going. Even she still now talks about self doubt. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's and that imposter syndrome as well. I suppose it'd be interesting to think what self doubt and imposter syndrome if they sit in the same feeling or anyway. It's... Yeah, definitely. But yeah, when you're talking about like how long it takes and stats and all of that. I mean, this year's Vivid has been extraordinary, the numbers. Um, We were just talking before about I think there's a desperate desire for people to be out and about post-COVID. 
Um, and there's that thing about the community gathering. So everything's gone yeah, everyone's very happy. It's all gone very well. The numbers are huge. But again, some of the things that I really like are the really quite intimate, like we did a beautiful production called Nocturne and it was actually taking people into the dark, away from Vivid, up onto Observatory Hill with like First Nation storytelling and stargazing and lemon myrtle tea. It was beautiful. So I actually think that um, that's what makes me happy is that Vivid's becoming not just about the lights and the sparkle and the razzle-dazzle. I think we're now finding ways to bringing in really lovely um, like ways of seeing your city in a different light and engaging obviously with First Nations storytelling or bringing in sort of more grassroots type um, engagement, which I think that's what you need obviously for a city. Yeah, incredible. And uh, yeah, I did see that Nocturna looked uh, amazing. Who was the, who produced that again? Uh, so a company from Melbourne called One Step at a Time What's- like this. And um, they do t- they they travel the world. So if you're ever anywhere in somewhere in the world and you see their name and they have a production called En Route, which is particularly fantastic, I really recommend doing it. I'll definitely look them up. Thank you. I'd love to know what what trends in ideas and people you want to hear and how do you detect them? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that next year you're going to be doing Vivid. You probably need like a, a couple of months rest. But um, do you? Do, yeah, I'd love to hear what you think about the trends and ideas and how you find uh, and how you curate it. Um, so the way we do Vivid Ideas... Um, it's it's curated, like the whole ideas program is curated, but we do have an expression of interest call out, which I think is great because it means that you are drawing on a bigger, broader base than obviously just, you know, myself. Um, and it's always really surprising and thrilling when things come through, um, the EOI process. So we'll, we'll always do that. And then there's also the, the responding to the theme, that part will, will still be there. But in terms of trends... Um, I think what people are looking for with ideas and talks and workshops is this whole thing about our, people People don't want it just to be a passive, mm. you know, um, participant and just sitting in their chair listening. I think now it's all very much about how do you actively get involved. So I think changing the format of talks is really important. Thinking about who actually, I mean, I'm, I am a big believer in expertise and experts. Mm. I think it's important to have experts in their field. But I also think it's nice to bring other people into the conversation that might be a little bit more out of the box or they don't have the expertise, but they've got the lived experience. And we just did a talk last night all about neurodivergence. And um, I was really pleased that the three people on the panel all had lived experience. One of them was an academic one of them was a media writer and then one was one of them was just literally, you know, a person with lived experience and she moderated and she did a great job. So I think that thing about lived experience and thinking about audiences, who they are, and when you're designing something, ideally design with other people for that audience. Mm. Uh, so I'd love to know how you, you know, how do you accommodate for user experience? Did, did you know, just with COVID... Have you found any influences on decisions around the remoteness? Have you found like the numbers are up? You've mentioned that before, and I've heard it read it in the press. Are you? Is yeah? Has any of the programs changed because of COVID, or have you found any sort of trends that have come out of that? I'd love to sort of hear what you're feeling because it's the first time you've we've had it this large. Is it? No, we, we had, had it one last year, year, but but last year was slightly different in the fact that we were still actually being quite affected by COVID. Like yes, we had okay. a lot of speakers that couldn't make it on the day. Would be like, I'm so sorry, I have COVID. COVID. Um, so last year was a little bit more hybrid than this year. I think the main thing I would say is that people actually do want to be in the room. 
So people want live experiences. They want to be there in person. I think everyone's over their screen. I don't think that's yeah. news to anyone. Um, so we made a very deliberate decision that, for example, we wouldn't be recording and live streaming and um, like it was very much like you have to be in the room. You have to be present. You have to be here. If you want to ask your question, mm. you know, that's part of it. Um, and I was talking to one of the speakers last night and she was like, I will only now do live events. I'm not interested in mm. in big broadcasts because I think it's the community gathering aspect of it. That, that people... reconnection that you're looking for. It's interesting because I doing the artist way book and I'm looking at joining a whole group of people together and I'm like, let's do it over Zoom. And I was like, no, actually, I want to do it in person because of that reason. I've been on a screen. And so it's interesting that's also come out for the, a lot of the other speakers as well. Mm. Yeah, it's um, I think it's that interconnectedness because there's something, like even doing this podcast today, thank you so much for coming in because I know how busy you are. It's seeing you in person and talking to you rather than over a screen makes such a big difference. I'm um, Just sort of the feeling of it and the moments and, you know, you can catch these little, yeah, these, these, yeah, these nuances. And absolutely, and I think also, like I know you... Um, reasonably well and you're a connector and I'm a, I am like to connect people so I love nothing more than when I'd be talking to someone and I'd be like oh you should meet this person and then you just bring them together and that's what you miss to me you miss that spontaneous of like oh now quick let's make it happen and I think um, when I think about vivid ideas obviously I think about the talks and I think about the workshops and all of that but I you know I love a bit of foyer you know sort of spontaneity of when you meet people and I think sometimes talks are just as good really as, you know, how good is the foyer? Exactly. I, I agree. And actually I do say that about conferences when you go, it's actually better in those moments when you're meeting someone, having a coffee and, you know, who are you? And yeah, it's I, I totally agree with that. I'd like to also know, I mean, I've been speaking to a lot of listeners, uh, sorry, uh, a lot of our guests uh, and what, we, what I was noticing that their childhood was surrounded by like music or art. Can I ask, was your was your childhood surrounded by like because I yeah I, you're nodding yeah. so I'd love to hear yeah I'm such a product of my parents um it's actually really hilarious because my mum was a music and drama teacher and my dad was an architect and um I feel very grateful that um I grew up in Sydney and I was one of the very lucky ones that was taken from a young age to lots of productions um lots of music lots of art it's just in my blood I feel lucky because I don't think I'm ever intimidated by art or mm. artists or um, like I'm very comfortable in that world. I'm, I suppose what I'm trying to say is I don't feel like you have to grow up in that world to feel that way. But what I what I do love about it is when it's just part of your DNA um, and I have a 17-year-old daughter and it's totally part of her DNA. But I also think you can get that yourself to me and like it's you can everyone can self-educate, everyone can make themselves, you know, um, comfortable. So I would hate for people to think that, oh, the arts is only for those that have grown up with it in mm. their blood because that's not the case. But I do think it shows that there's obviously a huge amount of value in introducing young people, um, you know, I mean, music, books, all those things. Yeah, you know, the creative industry, and it's interesting. 
Yes, yeah, so with our guests, we're, we are finding a trend that, that they have been around households with music and and you know and, and theatre and you know a, a great big fun household. So um, that's something that I suppose my, my my father was sort of an engineer and my mother sort of was at home for for a while. But she, I didn't, ha- I wasn't exposed to it. So and it's funny going to London and being in the arts now twenty years, and I think about my children now and think, oh wow, like they've they're they're going to be growing up in that. But it's um yeah, it's interesting. I, I sometimes wish what it would have been like just being around like musicians or being in, with an architect father because we work with architects all the time. Mm. The thing is about architects and I always ask them they the house that they live in because they're designing houses or buildings for other people, the house that you, and it's and they all they'll, you know, usually by the end of their career they'll bring it out and then they'll actually show you where they live and it's always incredible because we've been thinking in it for like years and years and years and then they design something. So is that the, is that the case for your your father? Did he design something crazy for you to live in? No, actually, we lived in a um, like a family home that had been inherited. So it's funny. I just I think about our home as just being like ramshackle jumble of books and art and all of that. But nothing it was nothing beautifully designed and glamorous. It was like three generations of loud and you know craziness. Um, Sounds fun though. Oh, it was fun. It was fun, but totally not minimalist, gorgeous you know, architect design, but designed in other ways. I mm. suppose it was curated in other ways. Yeah, it sounds like it. So do you have any advice for our listeners just out there about, you know, I suppose their creative uh, where, their creative light bulb moments or where you could look for podcasts or books or yeah, anything that would inspire them as well? I think my advice is actually you can find creativity in everyday life and it's actually just being a little bit more sort of maybe open to it and aware of it. So I'm a walker. I love walking my dog. Um, I used to listen to podcasts and I used to listen to music and I'm now actually finding that I'm stopping to do that. I'm just listening to the city and I'm listening to nature and it sounds a bit naff. But, no, it's not. No. But it's giving my head space. I suppose that's it. It's it's finding quiet moments to actually just look around and engage but also and it's so boring but it's that thing about it is that thing about boredom give you let yourself have a chance to be bored mm. um and so i don't yeah i, I like i'm not going to i'm not going to recommend a thousand and one different podcasts i'm not even going to recommend a thousand and one mm. different books i'm actually going to recommend the opposite i'm going to say put your phone away sit quietly go to the park at lunch Look around, people watching, how fantastic is that? If you want, take a book, um, like a journal, a notebook, jot down what you hear. Um, I love I love eavesdropping. <laughs> I love people. I love watching people. So I think that's a form of creativity. I think it's just an appreciation for what's around you and you never know what is going to spark something. Mm. You never know who you're going to meet. Um, strike up a conversation, be brave, I don't know, be curious, like just sing, just, just, just maybe just step out of your comfort zone slightly. I mean, Chrissy Flanagan, who has just started this thing called the Chaotic Social Club. Chaotic Social Club. The Chaotic, chaotic <laughs> Social Club. And her thing is like as adults it becomes harder to make friends. And she's like, I just want somewhere where we can all go and do silly things. And so she teaches like workshops like shit macrame. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So you can all come together and then. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's just more of a chance to actually just hang out with new people and try something different. And you can have a glass of wine. It's fun. 
I love No Lights, No Lycra. Like, if people don't know what that is, like, find out, Google it. It's going dancing in the dark. You dance your heart out. So I don't think, when I, say, when I say creativity, I don't think it has to be, oh, sit down and write your, you know, memoir um, or paint. I think it's just about how do you just bring that into your everyday life? Just do things that you enjoy that are fun and think back to when you were a child and what was that thing that you... I mean, I've always been a dancer. I love dancing. So, you know, I'll dance around the kitchen. I'll dance around anywhere. So what's the thing that, what's the thing that I really love to do and just finding ways to keep doing it? It's very simple, but... Oh, it's so beautiful. I'm so glad you said that because you're so right. Those smaller moments in life and I couldn't sleep last night and I was just sitting around and I was actually just thinking about things and think. And it's actually amazing to have these moments because you never have them because you're always rushing and you go out your door and there's thousands of people everywhere. It's like, well, where where are these quiet moments? And I just was talking to someone earlier this week who's an industrial designer and I said, oh, you know, where do you get your inspiration from? And he goes, I go hiking. And he just goes up into his, and I was like, that's interesting. And he goes, I love it because I can, it's really quite technical and I go off in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, interesting. He, he went, like, he's gone the opposite. And it's interesting, even almost like you in a way, that you're running this huge, massive festival at the moment, meeting all these really interesting people. And you must be socially, like, sort of burnt out in a way. And you're right, what you actually need, how you feel like your cup up is actually having these moments of silence and reflection as well. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. That's, yeah, that was just so perfect. Tori, thank you so much for coming in today. I know you've been really busy with with Vivid Ideas and I'm really looking forward to sharing everything we talked about today to our listeners. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thank you for tuning in to The Lightbulb Moment, where creatives shed light on their career-defining epiphanies. Don't forget to like and share this episode and leave a review if you love what we do. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn at artpharmacy or sugarglider.digital and watch your space for more tips from creative pioneers.